Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Bubble Hour. It is February 2018, February 3rd. It is a snowy day here in Canada. I'm home by myself and I'm very excited to be back with my headset on and recording uh, some episodes for you. So as you may have noticed, I took the month of January off. I um, just wanted to give myself a little bit of the gift of time and perspective on things. Uh, it uh, was a great thing to do, as it turned out. Um, sometimes, you know, we just get our head down and we keep on keeping on and keep doing the same thing. And I just really wanted to pause and give thought to what I do, why I do it, how I do it, if I like doing it, if I should be doing it, if I'm doing it well, if I could do it differently. Um, generally overthinking things, as usual. Uh, but over the space of that month I took off, I saw a lot of other uh, recovery friends, uh, other bloggers, podcasters, and people in my online group were posting their word of the year. And this is kind of a popular exercise that a lot of us do, where we come up with the word of the year, and that comes back to our um, our intention for that year. And so in past years, I've used words uh, like uh, implementation was one of my words. <laughs> I was like, I'm, used, I'm learning all this stuff. Uh, this year, I'm going to start using it. And that was, a, that was a really good word to keep coming back to. Um, and in fact, Ellie, bless her heart, even made a bracelet for me with the word implementation uh, hammered onto it. And I could just look at that all the time. So my word of the year for 2018 is create. And uh, as you may have heard me say, I've sort of wound down my business in the last few years and I'm transitioning into sort of semi-retirement and this gives me time and space to create. And so that not only means creating some new episodes of this show and putting some energy into um, keeping this show fresh um, and as well as blogging, but I've also been doing things like making some beaded jewelry and I got one of these fabulous cutter machines that cuts vinyl and leather and all this stuff. So I've been having fun making some clothes and of course I use it for work. That's the premise. Uh, I, I use it to put addresses on some buildings that we own, but um, uh, then I also get to use it for fun. So that's really great. Uh, another thing I did was I used my fancy little cutter to um, put some cute labels onto some old vitamin bottles that I'd saved and washed and uh, and mailed them off to um, some women in my recovery group. It's just a little treat filled with uh, cinnamon hearts. And so 
create doesn't necessarily mean means having fun putting my energies back into the world. But most importantly, the other thing I worked on creating in January is a novel that I'm writing that has been really a lot of fun. And um, it's incorporating history of my area as well as some of the things I've learned about generations, mental health, addiction, um, developmental disabilities, all kinds of things, codependency. Um, and uh, I don't know if it'll ever be... Uh, published bestseller but um it's i'm bringing it out into the world so basically i've been giving birth for the last month anyway on today's episode uh the guest is me being interviewed by uh recovery today's sherry gaba now sherry is a therapist and a recovery coach, a psychotherapist, and you may have seen her on uh, Celebrity Rehab, which I used to watch all the time when I was still drinking, and I, I credit that show with actually planting some seeds of hope and possibility and self-awareness, uh, even though I was drinking while I watched it. And so I'm forever grateful to Sherry and Dr. Drew and the participants of that show um, for the role that they've played in my recovery. Uh, in September of, of this past year, and in fact, every September, Sherry, who is just a dynamo, uh, in addition to having created and edited uh, Recovery Today magazine, which is a really great free online magazine that I highly recommend you all uh, visit their website and sign up for it. She also does a free summit uh, and has, I'm going to say, great speakers. I was one of them. So was Taryn Strong. If she recovers, uh, she just interviewed a lot of people in recovery. And then she offers those interviews for free over the course of a week in the fall. So watch for that in the year to come. Uh, and then later after it aired, she actually sent me a copy of my interview and said, go ahead and share this with your um, listeners on the bubble hour, because she was quite excited with just some of the things that we were able to come up with together and, and, and discuss and, you know, even almost disagree on. And it was a really great, insightful, wonderful discussion. And uh, so I'm really grateful to her for allowing me to share it with you here and for the honor of having me on her show. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now. And I hope you enjoy it. And also just know I will be back next week with new episodes. And um, I look forward to a really great year of creating things, including good work for you. Here you go. Welcome to the fifth annual Recovery Today series, where I interview some of the greatest transformational leaders, experts, and authors of our time. Whether you are new to recovery, have long-term recovery, or are a professional in the recovery space, this summit is for you. And remember, recovery is no longer for those struggling with just alcohol or drugs. It can be any of us with obsessions and compulsions, whether it's food, shopping, love, procrastination, the Internet, debting, codependency, or even work. So please join me today as I introduce an amazing guest, Jean McCarthy. Jean McCarthy is known for writing the blog, Unpickled, and is the producer and host of her podcast, the Bubble Hour Podcast. As a business owner and active member of her community, Jean began her recovery activities 
with a high level of privacy and secrecy. And as time passed, she shed her anonymity in hopes of helping to shatter the stigma and shame. She lives an active, full life in Alberta, Canada, and now includes less time worrying about what others may think of her. Oh, boy, Jean, talk about the codependency, right? Because I always think codependency codependency and fear are what underlie much of addiction, wouldn't you say? In my case, for sure. Um, I think there's different reasons, you know, why people find themselves in a pattern of addiction. But certainly for me, it was the natural outcome of a lifetime of codependent thinking and not even understanding what that was. I just wanted to be a good girl and be liked and do things right. And I nearly you know, killed myself. <laughs> it, it's funny. I sometimes share this story. I'll share, I'll share it real briefly because I, you know, I want this um, this interview to be about you and your message. But I, my ex-husband, you know, he worked in the studios and he was working really hard. He was always afraid, you know, someone else could replace him. And so his codependency was over the top. Lo and behold, he had an accident at work. And eventually got him back uh, into his shoulder cuff was damaged and he ended up on painkillers and then he was back to drinking. So I always say it wasn't the, the uh, painkillers, the alcohol that got him, it was the codependency, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah, because it's all sort of layered one on top of the other. And when we use that word codependency, you know, a lot of your listeners might be familiar with what it means, but someone that's sort of newer to recovery and exploring it may think, as I did, that codependency refers to spouse of addict, spouse of alcoholic. And um, that's not what that means. No. <laughs> it's it often by coincidence that's the relationship that a codependent person might find themselves in. But the codependency really means relying on other people for your self-identity. So mm-hmm. who do you want me to be? What do I have to do to get your approval? How do I fit in? Where, you know, always gauging and responding, but never considering your own authentic, authentic <laughs> response. Right, I right. mean, that's not a safe place to go if you're conditioned for codependent thinking. And so that very often ends up being the person that's in a relationship with someone with addiction or mental health issues or even, um, extreme physical disabilities because life is always about that other person's well-being and you quite Mm -hmm. naturally adapt by becoming codependent but it can also be the precursor that that sets us up for addiction because it's such an uncomfortable way to live and and we end up running out (laughs) and i'm not really sure i mean i know that in the 12 steps they talk about emotional sobriety and, and looking for emotional sobriety as well as sobriety but i'm not sure you know, if codependency is really addressed always in 12-step meetings. I'm not really, you know, I'm not sure if it's really part of the 12 steps. I mean, we obviously have a 12-step program for codependency known as Al-Anon or Codependent No More or Alateen, but not all addicts or alcoholics make it to those meetings. You know, they kind of stick to the 12 steps. So so how can we kind of broaden the um, codependency so that it becomes a more mainstream kind of word for somebody that's in recovery from drugs or alcohol or some other addiction? Well, I hope that the the word itself, I think, needs to morph out of use over time. I think that's probably the root of the problem is just language itself mm-hmm. in the same way that our language is shifting with the sort of new recovery advocacy movement where we're looking at it differently, even just in talking about it. Events like like this series that you're presenting 
Um, that's right. a shift, right? Um, and so I, I think the change will come. Um, there are other terms emerging from uh, from the idea of codependency, like um, uh, other-focused or, you know. <laughs> um, right, right. As those new terms become more mainstream, then that will probably help us expand our vernacular a little bit. And I think we're in the infancy of that because because speaking openly outside of, of meetings is, is a relatively new thing and um, right. getting a lot of momentum. So I think we're about to see a really exciting decade ahead. And I myself am not in a 12-step program. I've done a more of a patchwork approach to my recovery where I've taken a little bit of a bunch of different programs and sort of worked them together into um, an abstinence-based recovery of my own. But um, I'm certainly, you know, aware enough about what all the programs stand for and how they help people heal to know that a 12-step program sort of indirectly addresses codependence, but um, I think it's not until someone really explains it to you what that means, that you have that aha moment, if that's your pattern. I mean, anyone that has that pattern, when they hear it, it's like, oh, it yeah. instantly challenges the, the good girl myth. Maybe it's a particularly um, uh relative idea for women because we we have really taught to be good girls and to be submissive mm-hmm. and compliant and pleasing and you know even if you're rebellious and bad you're still sort of aware of how to manipulate people by pushing all the all the right buttons and and um so when someone is doing that pattern uh you know they have new awareness when they when they hear because once you know something you can't unknow it anymore you see yourself differently so so what path um or path have worked for you what um you know what brought you so to speak to your knees uh, what was your your bottom and then what what worked for you well my bottom was an epiphany of sorts i mean i think my bottom was uh, what many would call a low bottom because there wasn't one specific incident but i was mm-hmm. really on that trajectory of daily drinking for years it was mm-hmm. becoming more. It was becoming earlier in the day. I was in that loop for probably two years or more, maybe even five years, where you wake up every morning and say, I'm not drinking today, I'm not doing it. And mm-hmm. by 3 o'clock, I'd be anxious to leave the office. And by 4 o'clock, I would convince myself that it was okay to stop and pick something up on the way home, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or gosh darn it, you know, I have I still have like a box of wine in the fridge and another box in the pantry, so today's not going to be the day. And right. um, whatever happened that day was always my reason for not drinking because I really was to the point where I couldn't handle any emotion without mm. numbing it. If I was happy, I... I like any emotion was an excuse to drink. Positive, right. let's celebrate. Negative, let's console ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Boredom, well, you know, let's. This is my go-to activity, and um, right. I could just see that it was taking a toll on me. And I was, I was also aware that there were other women in my community that had not been so fortunate, who had um, professional women who had mm-hmm. died of a fall but everyone knew that they had a drinking problem or, wow. um, uh-huh. you know, just died at home, seriously. But um, And those things were sort of shameful, but, in, in you know, as they're spoken about in hushed tones. But I was starting to see that could be my reality. And this 
wonderful equilibrium that was my pattern of go 900 miles an hour all day long, work, 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 really be successful, do everything to the nines, and then go home and drink myself to sleep you know, mm-hmm. so that I could get up the next day and do it again. It, it really started, I think, as a sleep aid and became yeah. a crutch for a lot of other things. So yeah. I just, I couldn't ignore that trajectory. I couldn't ignore the fact that I was trying to quit and instead was drinking more. And um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my epiphany, I, I feel like I, I guess I was one of the lucky ones because I fortunately sort of had a just a moment of clarity it was almost an out-of-body experience where I realized I I had spent so much time panicking about this I'm going to hit rock bottom I'm going to you know what's bottom going to be are my kids going to see me you know have an accident am I going to be publicly shamed am I going to end up Mm -hmm. hurting myself and then I just had this moment of I can just quit I don't have to hit a bottom. I can just quit. I don't have to gain 300 pounds before I lose weight. I don't have to smoke a pack a day in order to quit. Like, why mm-hmm. do I have to have something terrible happen? I can just quit. Wow. And it was a terrifying realization. Um, well, you and... are a miracle. You really are awesome. <laughs> you are. I mean, you really are. That's amazing. I I, I love that. Um so you began chronicling your recovery in your blog on Pickled on your first day of sobriety, which that's pretty fascinating um, that you had the wherewithal to be able to do that, right, in early sobriety or first day of sobriety. So how has the writing about recovery served you over the six years since then, and how has it evolved for you and for all of your readers? Well, this is interesting, and... Um it's it 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 started out as something very different than what it ended up. So understanding recovery as you do, you'll find this funny when I tell you this, but it was sincerely mm-hmm. what I thought at the time. I really thought that in a few weeks or in a few months I'd be fine and then I could maybe um sell this sort of journal or this, you know, this chronicle maybe to a magazine or something of like, you know, mm. Here I look at me, uh, and not so much look at me, but here's an interesting story. High functioning, high achieving, you know, right. business leader quietly kicks her habit, you know, because I really mm-hmm. thought it was the only thing about me that wasn't perfect. And once mm-hmm. I fixed that, it, which should really only take a few weeks. Um, so I, I honestly will say I started it, you know, knowing it would keep me accountable. I started it for accountability and it was helpful, but I also, there was a part of me that thought, Within a few months, I'd have an interesting little story that maybe I could turn into an article or a book or something. Mm-hmm. And that's funny to me now because, A, it, it's six years and I'm still working on it. <laughs> right, right. I've, I've been able to abstain from alcohol these six years, but if we're fortunate, recovery is a lifelong process of getting to know ourselves and becoming stronger and better and and more mm-hmm. authentic. So I'm I'm grateful that I didn't finish in a few weeks. <laughs> huh? Well, you're, you know, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing with you because when my book came out, I sort of had to start. In other words, your journey I think is, makes more sense than just coming out writing a book when you're still uh, you're still in a process. Like when right. my book came out, it was like I was dealing with my my then husband, um, his his relapse, and all these things were going on, and I'm like supposed to be going out and doing book tours. So um, it's it's sort of interesting because the, the book is now reemerging in a more authentic way 
you know, eight years later. So I love that. I love that example. That's great. Yeah, and, and I think it's the the beauty of staying open to continuing continuing to learn. We sort of have this mindset that we need to be an expert and, you know, issue our expert opinion, and then it's some kind of etched-in-stone truth. But it doesn't need to be that. I think we can we can humbly grow along with our ideas and our our insights. And yeah. um, one thing that happened really quickly for me, and this really speaks to the egotism that that just takes root when you're when you're stuck in a addictive mm-hmm. pattern, is that I I was really blogging for my own benefit. I needed accountability. I wanted support. I wanted to chronicle this this story of this, you know, really unique situation I thought I was in. And (laughs) one of the first things that happened was I found out I was not unique at all. Um, uh, In fact, I fit a pretty common demographic. Um, Being high-functioning is, it goes right along with the codependency, good girl, people-pleasing, you know, high, uh, high high-efficient work ethic, um, mm-hmm. profile that we talked about earlier. So there are plenty of people just like me. <laughs> and, 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 we really, and we need to get that out there because when, when people step into a meeting and they think, you know, their story is so unique and they don't hear those stories of sort of high bottom, whatever that means, um, right. you know, it ends up sort of chasing them away. Like, oh, I'm not like these people. So I think these, these even though you call it a low bottom, it sounds like sort of a functionally high bottom <laughs> Um, it's kind of, you know, this story just has to get out so that it can help right. other people, you know. Yeah. Did I say it was a low bottom? I meant high bottom. But oh, I think you, oh, maybe, maybe you, I thought you said, I, you know, and then again, it doesn't even matter, right? It's it doesn't, bottom, yeah. But, but um, um, this whole idea of high functioning. It's true. It, it's a little bit of a mess, first of all, um, that, that and I really thought that too. I I think that prevented me from going to AA because I don't live in a very big community and I as a business owner, you know, I thought I was too visible and and um, those people weren't going to understand me and I really I also had the fear that they, uh, that I wasn't bad enough to go to an AA meeting because I didn't have a rock bottom story and you know, when you see on TV when you see anything or on movies about meetings, you hear these tragic stories, and I'm like, I have no story. Like, I'm going to go and just say, I, I'm, you know, I have a couple glasses of wine every night, because I was still really downplaying how much I was drinking, too. And uh-huh. I, I was afraid that I would be told I wasn't bad enough and that I could keep drinking, and I really wanted to quit. Like, I was terrified of anyone pushing back against my decision to quit. Now that, in retrospect, knowing now um, what I know, was completely unfounded and ridiculous. And maybe that was my addiction trying to perpetuate itself by telling me lies. <laughs> I was just going to uh, say, yeah, you didn't really call yourself out, although you wanted no, to stop, you know. So I didn't. That rigorous didn't. honesty, you know, that's yeah. part of the process. Uh-huh. And so now I understand, you know, I could have gone in a meeting and not only would I have met other people who resonated with me but as you as you connect and the more you learn about yourself you start to learn that at the heart of it all you're not really different than that person who you think you're so much better than anyway you can listen to the story of someone whose life has been badly broken and realize you were maybe only a week or two away from that yourself or a year or two away from that and and even even if you were never on that same trajectory 
we all understand the hurt inside that leads us to look for the wrong solution. Exactly. So, like the, the emotional brokenness sometimes, exactly. I, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it's worse, but it can be debilitating. Absolutely. And it's it's universal, you know. Um, yes. I, I grew up with a pretty ordinary childhood. Um, I, certainly my the things that sort of led me off track were not enormously traumatic, but they were enough. And so even mm-hmm. though my experience isn't the same as someone who's responding to terrible trauma, um, it, it's we're both still vulnerable to the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and their trauma and my lack of trauma, both of those things were out of our control. It's our humanness in response to it that makes us the same. And um, that's very humbling to accept that. And so, oh, just to get back to your question, the other thing that I that I learned as I continued to blog and that vastly changed my blogging was that within a few weeks, Sherry, I started to get comments from other people who said, wow, you know, you're 14 days sober. I'm quitting today. It's my first day, and, and you know, you're my hero. And... Wow. I was like, what? I'm your hero? Like, wait a minute. I kind of thought I was the last person who was ever going to quit drinking. I really never thought about anyone else coming along behind mm. me. And what mm. happened was that between the warm support of the other people already in recovery who were encouraging me on Twitter and in the comment section of my blog, pulling me forward from their place of you know recovery ahead of me, and then from behind comes the push of all the people new to recovery who say, I'm looking to you. I'm following you for encouragement. And it's mm. almost like hopping on a conveyor belt and, and feeling, just joining the currents, you know. And mm. um, that was the most beautiful awakening to realize that I could give service. And I didn't understand what that meant, but that's another um, principle of 12-step recovery is that when you help others, you help yourself. And so my blog really became um, not only an interesting place for discussion and to to sort of distill truth out of my experience as a person in recovery and start conversation, but it's become an act of service, and and so has the podcast. Um, I help others, and that helps me. That's a beautiful story because, you know, sometimes we we look at success just as, you know, a financial thing, and the one thing, you know, I've always felt with my messaging out there, it's really not about the financial. It's about service and it's about spreading a message. And, you know, sure, if success financially, you know, abundance comes around in a different way or, you know, that's all good, but that's not my, that's not the pure intention. The intention is to spread a, a powerful message. So I love exactly. that. Yeah. Your intent, you know, you become very successful, but it, that wasn't your like quote intention. Your original intention was to to be of service, or to first yeah. to be a service of your to yourself, and then suddenly that grew out into being of service to others. And and I just think that's where we have to be, you know, in this in this in this uh, journey. So now Unpickled is a very popular blog, right? You still have that going on, correct? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, is it just you blogging, or do you have other people blogging? No, it's just little old me, and little, I've kept okay. the site. It's non-commercialized. Um, yes. Just to sort of keep the authenticity of it, I guess, to just sort of keep that relationship with the reader 
um, as sort of a undiluted dialogue, I guess. Um, yeah, so there like, are it's it's on like a WordPress site, so I guess there are some ads that WordPress throws on there. But I don't do any paid paid posts or guest posts or anything. I just really try to keep it a place of discussion and dialogue. Right. Yeah, I think that I mean it's your voice, and that's what counts here. You know that that's really what what matters. So that sort of evolved, I guess, into the Bubble Hour podcast. Well, the bubble hour is really interesting. So here's what happened with that. It was started a few years before I joined it. It's probably in its about its fifth year now. And it was started by a really amazing recovery blogger by the name of Ellie Strong. And she uh, had a a blog called One Crafty Mother. And Mm. Ellie has a fantastic, interesting in-and-out story. And, you know, she hit a really low bottom and then after some sobriety got cancer and then got through that and had a couple really tough relapses and she just mm. wrote so bravely about all of it and if you listen to the early episodes which are still available on uh, Blog Talk Radio um, they, um, you, hear, you hear Ellie's voice uh, along with her co-host Lisa and Amanda Mm -hmm. And um, they just spoke really honestly about their recovery. And I was an avid listener. Uh, I would walk for hours and listen to that podcast. And one day um, I was putting my makeup on and listening to a podcast, and one of the co-hosts announced that she was going to be leaving the show. She just felt it was time to take a break. And I literally just had one of those moments of almost went into like a robotic trance. I just got up and I walked to my computer and I sent an email um, to the show and said, like, listen, I'm from Alberta, Canada, but I do have a background in media and um, production and writing. And I hear you're down a man. And if you ever need a hand, I'm happy to help out on air or behind the scenes. Oh, my and God. That's great. Story. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then yeah, without yeah. without me yeah. knowing, anyway, I did end up on the show. Um because some other calamities happened. And uh, so was one co-host out of four for a couple of years. And then the podcast just kind of fizzled. It's really hard coordinating four people's schedules plus a guest. And then yeah. um, so everybody decided to take a step back. And, and Ellie uh, was advised um, by her therapist to to step back from her advocacy and, and um, that recovering out loud wasn't serving her well. Hmm. So she she has stepped back quite a bit from what she does, but her her existing body of work is fantastic and still continues to help a lot of people. And so she gave wow. me the blessing to just pick up the show on my own and wow. carry it forward um, as my own project. And so I've been doing that now for about a year and a half and um, – so rather than having kind of a four-voice discussion of issues, uh, I have a guest on, and I just hold space for them to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it's a different show than it was before, but its I know for me um, it's just such a gift to be able to hear someone else, you know, tell their story and to learn from that. So Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's the greatest. It's, it's interviewing somebody and... and learning about new people is is my greatest passion. I can't think of anything better than doing what I'm doing right in this very moment. And so it sounds like you feel the same way. 
Yeah, I do. It's it is really wonderful, and I I I know that as a listener of many podcasts myself, and uh, and now as a producer of it, I just I think it's it's one of the greatest gifts of our era right now. Um, it's it really changes how we recover. This this thing, the internet, has mm-hmm. forever changed recovery, and um, we need. And to yet, there's still there's still, there's still nays- there's still na- excuse me, I'm sorry, there's still naysayers out there that you know, will say that, well, this is supposed to be anonymity. I mean, I I was on Celebrity Rehab, and I so I wrote a book, and I got a lot of uh, flack for that because right. it was like, you know, how can you – and that, probably Celebrity Rehab was one of the first sort of out there media recovery sort of out, you know, uh, programs. And um, it's just, you know, exploded since then. But people still – are, get really angry. I don't know if you've experienced that yourself, but people still get kind of angry about, you know, it's just, yeah. it should just be the 12 steps. It's, you know, it, it's interesting, right? I, ha- I haven't had a lot of backlash because my, you know, my own core of support is outside of the 12 step, but I think for someone who's, whose base of support is within the 12 step tradition, um, you know, I can understand why some of that backlash is there and I think what we have to appreciate is that some people have to be rigid and and they have to be um they can't give themselves the space to challenge any rules or to be flexible in their recovery because the rigidity is keeping them sober oh my god I love that Jean I love that oh my it's so true uh I have a magazine um, interview coming out this month. I, I, um, probably by the time this airs, I think I can say it. Um, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, and um, oh, she's great. She's great, and so I'm only bringing this up now because by the time this airs, it will have already been out in the magazine. And she was she's very rigid about her old school recovery, and she wanted to keep that that interview very uh, constrained. You know, not, I don't know, not constrained, but she wanted it to be just that. Like, I, my mm-hmm. primary purpose here is to just reach another addict or alcoholic. And she needed those boundaries around the interview. And I so respected that because that's yeah. what she needed. And so what I'm hearing you say is, you under, you know, there's like an opening there. Like, okay, I get it. Some people need those boundaries. They do. And I think there's a there's a part of us that wants to defend our choices in recovery and make someone enlightened and see, like, no, you don't have to do it that way. You, this is this is working for me, and you, I need you to see why that's true. But in order to win that argument, you have to take away from them the rigidity that's keeping them sober, and that isn't a gift to, to take mm-hmm. that from someone. That, you know, in defending yourself, you might hurt someone else's recovery. So exactly. I think we just have to really all be respectful of the path that others are on. And so for me, if I get a sense that someone is really – um, offended or threatened or confused by my willingness to talk about recovery, um, I just I have to I have to just respect that you know what they they need that to stay sober and I don't want to take that from them. Um, it's if it's working for them then you know that's 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 great. <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's it's sort of like allowing for the polarity. It's like let it all just be out there. Like whatever, whatever works. Like let's just put it out there in the space, and you pick and choose what works for you without any judgment and compat and just deep compassion for 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 your for your fellow man, you know, fellow woman. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
And, and, you know, in talking about the Internet as a tool for recovery, what I think it is is that it it's allowing us to find answers earlier in the trajectory. And so in the past, you know, if you were drinking or using problematically, if your only recourse was to go to a 12-step meeting, well, I know for me, I would have kept drinking a long time before I walked into a 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. I would have had to be desperate. But I didn't have to be desperate to search on the computer for answers. I just right. had to be curious. And I wasn't – curious for me wasn't enough to motivate me to go to a meeting. But mm-hmm. it was enough for me to go online and look for answers. And the more I found, the the more it empowered me to make a change earlier on. Now, that's not enough if you don't add on to it from there. <laughs> You right, have to add right. support. You have to add, add, add from there. But right. um, I think it you is changing things. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so for some, there will always be those that that wait longer and and go because they're desperate. That their only option. You know, sometimes they say that an AA meeting is the last door on the block kind of thing. It's like you try everything mm-hmm. else and then that's where you end up. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why there's a shame associated with it. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm so broken, I have to go to AA. And it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's a resource. It's a tool. And yes. any any avenue you take to meet other people that are living alcohol-free, living in recovery, addressing their issues, just dealing with their junk, whatever you want to call it, those face-to-face meetings are really, really, really helpful. So um, even if you are getting started online and finding answers and convincing yourself that, yes, I need to make this change, I still encourage people to find a way to meet people because there's nothing like looking into the eyes of someone who understands. It's amazing. It, like Again, again it, it's all out there. It all works or whatever works for you. You know, as, yeah. as a licensed therapist, it's always about meeting someone where they're at, Um and I just love your openness to that and your flexibility. And the thing I thought of when you were talking was that, you know, this is a new world of technology, and we have to accept that, and so we have to find new avenues. So if technology is what will help one person but maybe not another, so be it. I mean, there's there's programs like In the Rooms. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They have mm-hmm. online meetings. You know, there's just a, a smorgasbord of, of possibilities. So, so what has it taught you the most, being a podcast host? What is the um, greatest thing? The thing I think it's really opened my eyes to is that um, I'll, I'll never be done recovering, and I don't really wish to be done recovering. Um, and by that, I don't just mean like, I mean, I'm fine with being alcohol-free for life, but there's no part of me that thinks, I want to finish with sobriety and go back to drinking. I'm 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 happy being a non-drinker. That's great with me. But the mm-hmm. process of always digging deeper and the humility to know that there's always room for me to learn something more, do things mm-hmm. better, understand things better. I love um I I love my willingness to accept that about myself because the old me was very much about perfection and not having any flaws and not admitting ever being wrong, you know. I just mm-hmm. I just so wanted to be kind of perfect and invisible at the same time. You know, I just mm. wanted to be like just uh, I didn't necessarily want to draw attention to myself, but I just wanted to sort of be 
accepted, not judged, just right, perfect. Right. <laughs> and now I know right. that that's that's just that's an illusion, and and I'm happy without it. And yeah, our, great, our greatest healing comes from showing up and being authentic, right? Our, oh, I mean, yeah. You know, but we think that we have to, and, and I, I have that all the time being a professional therapist. I think that I'm not supposed to have issues or when I go to, you know, my Al-Anon meetings, you know, what, you know, what can I share? What can I not share? And then I got, I've just gotten to a point where it's like, I'm just going to share because I'm one of you. I'm here just like all of you are here. You know, take away my license, take away my title. I have the same rawness that you have. And that's really worked for me. I just, I don't care what people think. <laughs> And how do you get to that? Because I have heard a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, that feel that they can't be vulnerable because they are therapists or they are in the addiction field helping others. And they feel like a fraud because they have, you know, had to seek recovery for themselves. And how do you help people make that connection, make that jump from from accepting that that's just going to make you better? That's what yeah. you do. Um, I, th- I think you have to reach your own emotional bottom, and you have to you have to realize that you're part of humanity, and that you really are no different. Because if you think that you're so, like you talked about in the beginning of the interview, you thought, oh, I'm so unique, and then you realize you weren't so unique. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not so unique. You know, I'm, and you know, and it's a very personal decision. I and there's other therapists that actually go to my meetings and they don't share like that. They're not raw. They usually they, they almost feels like they're giving advice instead of sharing. And and I just allow them their space to do that. I don't judge. I just know that for me, I'm not looking for clients at a meeting. I'm not I'm not there to do business. I am there for recovery because right. if I'm not if I don't go and I don't have some sort of path. You know, I'm going to go back to being a very, well, I'll always be codependent and, and a love addict, but I will go back to some of the behaviors I never want to go back to. to. So I, I'm doing it to stay alive. I mean, my codependency took me to losing hair, getting shingles, um, lots of messed up relationships. I mean, I don't want to go there again. And so for me, even though it may not be, quote, life or death, such as alcohol or drugs, it sort of is life or death for me. <laughs> so that's yeah. how I strip away my life, you know, I strip away that I'm a, that I have all these labels and I'm just me. I'm just Sherry. I don't know. Does that make sense? Kind of. Does it that... does. And I love that you said that you allow people to, you know, engage in the level that they want to because the meeting, there's not a right way to do that meeting, right? It's, right. it's a tool, it's a resource and it can be used, you know, however a person uses it and wherever they're at on their journey. I guess that's mm-hmm. another thing I've learned to be respectful of. Um, Yes. Because I had a lot of shame, I had a lot of feeling of shame around my drinking and then consequently shame around my recovery. I think I also projected a lot of shame onto other people. Like if someone relapsed, I just didn't know what to do with that. Or if somebody, um, oh gosh, if so if someone I was helping like through my blog especially, you know, they'd write to me and I'd try to help them. And then if they decided, you know what, I'm going to just drink, I don't really want to do this. Or if they... If they relapsed, I really took it personally. I really felt personally responsible and offended, I guess, that I hadn't been able to help them. And eventually I learned that the reason I was having that experience was because I was taking credit. I was allowing myself to feel like I could take credit for the people I was helping. And so there Mm -hmm. was a part of me that was feeling pride and and ego about all the people I was helping. And so 
I had to learn to unhook from any idea of success or failure in relation to the service that I do and only look at it as service and not judge people for where they're at because they may be perfectly right. Maybe recovery isn't for them or maybe they're not ready or, you know what, maybe it's just the help I gave them wasn't what they needed. That's not for me to judge. It's for me to just offer it and then let it I guess it's a huge metaphor for what we often say in programs is, you know, everyone has their own higher power and everyone has their own path. You know, yeah. in other words, you have to allow them to have their path. Yeah. You have to, otherwise you become their higher power, and which is what I, which is what I tried to become, which never right. worked. Right. You know, so you're actually, you're absolutely correct in allowing others to, to do it the way they need to do it because, again, they have their own higher power. So you call yourself a recovery advocate. We might have already touched on this, but what are you, what are you, quote, advocating? Well, I think I'm, what I'm advocating is just that the freedom and peace that can come from making this life change. Um, I don't advocate for any particular program or against any particular program. Um, right. I definitely think, I believe that abstinence is best if you feel that addiction is where you're at. I only feel that because I think it's easier, frankly. Moderation is hell for most people. Um, right. And it, it is still a choice that people have to make, but I do try to point out to people that it is a choice to choose abstinence or moderation or to continue to drink and that you have the power to make that choice, whatever it is. But I, I am a big believer that choosing no alcohol has changed my life and it's changed my health it's changed my appearance but mostly it just gives me freedom to get back to who I want to be and Mm. I feel like just by sharing that and and showing my face I'm helping to just break some of the stigma and the shame and I hope we get to the point where making this choice is, this, is, is it the same level of social acceptance as being a vegetarian or a vegan or using sunscreen or not smoking or, you know, it's just a great way of life. And, yeah. Um, that's so really... I think that even, you know, when I try to get guests for my magazine, I mean, I've been pretty lucky in 32 issues I've had celebrities and Olympians and politicians. And I only say that not to brag, but to say that, it's not always easy. There are many. It's, there's still a stigma around it, and many of those celebrity types don't want to don't want to be out there with mm-hmm. you know talking about recovery. And I think that's a huge. And I should. I probably should respect that. But sometimes I get a little frustrated because, and maybe it's judgment. I feel like if they speak about it, then it takes away the stigma, you know. Mm-hmm. And if we mm-hmm. keep if we keep hiding behind it, oh, I may not get a job if I do this magazine interview or I might not get a part. It's like, aren't you just kind of, you know, keeping that stigma alive? I don't know. It's a tough one. It is a tough one, and I don't think everyone has to heed the call to to be open about their recovery. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it's there's a purpose for it in early recovery, and, and that's to really protect and nurture your recovery. And, and um, I think, you know, privacy is 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 great during those early stages. It just really can help you protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand, too, the the delicacy around, well, 
okay, if I am open about my recovery, then maybe someone's nervous to go for coffee with me because if they're seen with me at Starbucks, are other people going to assume they're in recovery or know they're mm-hmm. in recovery? So then mm-hmm. that affects other people. And so it's a really delicate a really delicate balance, and I can appreciate that about people. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. And yeah. I think you have to be in a place where you're not doing it um, from for an egotistical reason. Right. Um, right. Because that can really be harmful in the long run. I think, I think you know, probably anyone that's sort of in the recovery, what's the word for it, recovery-friendly web, um, uh-huh. I think we're all probably familiar with people that maybe have gotten like almost too caught up in their following and too bogged down with the responsibility that they put themselves under to all these people and, you know, and they maybe regret it or it harms them in the long mm-hmm. run. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to be careful about all those things and you have to really also decide when it's time to step back, um, mm-hmm. as my friend Ellie did. Um yeah. That was a really hard decision for her because she really loved what she built and she knew it was helping a lot of people and to decide to that it had run its course um you know she had to understand that that wasn't failure and that wasn't quitting uh or or turning her back on people it was just it, you know what do we say just do the next right thing and for mm-hmm. her it was the next right thing. So it's yeah. a tricky subject. I don't think we have it figured out yet, but it's still an infancy. <laughs> it is tricky. It is, and I and I, you know, I probably have to work it through a little more. But I'm just so about squashing the stigma. Like I want mm-hmm. it. To, I want it to be kind of like what you said earlier that it's, you know, it's 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 as mainstream as you know Starbucks, right? It's just it just is recovery. Just is, you know. And uh-huh. I I don't think I don't think we're quite there, but I think we're getting there. We are, yeah. It's a badass thing to do, you know. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's it is like it, it's great. <laughs> it's not something yeah. to be ashamed of. Um, exactly. It's exactly. not. It's not weak. It's strong. That's. I was completely backwards about that. Like I thought, I thought it meant I was weak and I was broken and I was screwed up and I ruined everything and you know that's not right. I'm like no, taking care not- of myself and I'm honoring exactly. who I am. I just I just turned 50, and in the six years since I quit mm. drinking, all of my three sons have, two of them have gotten married, and, and the other one um, has a beautiful woman in his life, and my oldest uh-huh. son has had two children, so now I'm a mother-in-law, and I'm a grandma, oh. and I love that I feel like I am a woman that these young women can look up to. I am a grandmother that can be trusted with my grandchildren, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, was a really big beautiful. concern. No one that's would have left huge. a baby with me in the past. That's huge. Passed, that's, right? that's huge. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I just became a grandma, too, a year and a half ago, and it's oh, or a year and four months ago. Oh, it's the greatest. And I love what you said because, really, your grandchildren never have to see you drink, ever. Right. You never yeah. have to know that person. But that is part of your story, and so you know, as they get older, they may understand it, and and they'll be able to share um, all the all the triumphs and tribulations. So be, before we close, um, Jean, it's just been so amazing talking to you, and you're just such a I don't know what to say, just such a non-judgmental person. You're just so <laughs> so I feel so light when I when I talk to you. Um, what you. how can people find you and and write you and find out about your blog, find out about your podcast, et cetera? So my blog is unpickledblog.com 
and you can just read the blog right from day one. I mean, it sh- blogs show up backwards, but you can go through and, and read it backwards from the beginning. Um, you can email me at unpickledblog at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And the podcast, The Bubble Hour, uh, it is on blogtalkradio.com slash bubble hour. Oh. And okay. there are 220 episodes, I believe, in the archives. And I'm adding new ones all the time. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, you know, the greatest thing about my blog, in my opinion, is that the posts I have tend to be conversation starters. So what mm-hmm. I encourage people to do is, you know, read the post and consider what I have to say. But then give yourself some time to dig into the comments. There's usually hundreds, depending on the post. And you wow. get to hear what everyone else thinks about it and where other people are. And you get to see some of the back and forth that other people have on these topics. And I talk about everything from, like, should um, people in recovery, um, is, an, is non-alcoholic beer safe for a person in recovery? We have that discussion. Um, mm-hmm. As most people know, that's a pretty intense discussion in the recovery <laughs> community. Right, we, right. We talk about everything from getting through the holidays um, when I go on vacations, I post pictures of me traveling through Italy, sober. Um, we just did a really mm. neat trip um, through Europe, sober. How do you travel sober? What do you do when the concierge sends a bottle of champagne to your room for your birthday? Mm. Um, just a lot of that practical stuff and make showing that it's an everyday thing. So I do right. encourage people to come take a look, even if you're just sober curious, as the new term is, mm-hmm. or for listeners that have someone in their life who's in recovery and want to understand what it's like from their point of view, it's a really good mm-hmm. place to, to hear that as well. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's its own community in and of itself is what I'm hearing you say. Kind of. It really is. Yeah, it, it really has become that. Um, you know, I don't have any kind of sign-up or message boards or anything, but... I have quite a loyal following that look after each other, and so you can kind of see those back and forths in the in the threads, and um, and you can see commenters cheering each other on and posting, you know, what day they're on and what they've learned, and mm-hmm. it's just great. It's so exciting. I I mm-hmm. I love it. Um, the the best thing oh. about posting is 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 the feedback and the interaction in the comment section. It's so enlightening. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Jean, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to be on the Recovery Today series. And I look forward to to watching and seeing what happens with all of the things that you're doing. And um, any last tip you want to leave or tool or takeaway? Well, I guess, you know, anyone listening to this is giving themselves the gift of learning about recovery by taking part and in engaging in your session. So I commend them on that. And if anyone's thinking about quitting and wondering what they should do, um, I just really encourage them, don't be afraid to walk into a meeting, whatever type of meeting it is. Just go and look into the eyes of someone else in recovery and and trust that you will be welcomed with open arms. And just know that uh, being alcohol-free is emphasis is on the free, and it's just a beautiful way of life. Well, that's a beautiful way to close, and thank you again, Jean, and thank you, everyone, for another amazing interview on the Recovery Today series, and I look forward to seeing you for our next interview. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Sherry. You're welcome.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.